I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, your plants, your trees, your shrubs, whatever, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mr. Who are, what's your last name? <laughs> how quickly you forget. You. Yeah, how quickly you forget. Right. But, you know, during this really rough weather circumstance, mm-hmm. and uh, do you, does, let's say, let me put it this way, your cars, your vehicles and stuff, the mm-hmm. locks, do you put, do you inject anything into I them? haven't had to yet. Really? It's happened before where they've kind of frozen up, but no, not, not, and see, I was off Monday. I did have to go out Monday afternoon. Uh, so I missed a lot of the mess, right? Pretty much, but uh, yeah, on occasion I've had to, to kind of really work it. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have something specifically like WD forty that you shoot in there? Or anything? That's usually what I use. Do you? Yeah, but uh, there's also you know the deicer stuff, that, right? But I don't have any of that, so too expensive. Yeah, exactly. Or I saw something on t- what made me think of it. I saw something on TV where they recommended taking a straw out and blowing into your. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I I guess it would work. I guess. Puts warmth in there. Yeah. Maybe, you you know, you take a lighter and heat your key. (laughs) (laughs) Do not try that at home. (laughs) Do not try that at home. Uh, Yeah. So I was just curious if you had to deal with any of that kind of stuff. No, not yet anyway. little scraping going on, but otherwise not bad. I like the snow. This The snow the other day was beautiful once it was down. Right. Yeah, it's great. To me, I thought it was ugly. Personally. Really? Because there's too many leaves on the ground and the snow and the leaves, that combination of stuff. Ugh. Yeah, see, in our, our backyard and our back pasture, which is wide open, there's no leaves. Uh, the snow looked really nice. And then with the feeders and you got the cardinals, the cardinals just came out of the woodwork. Right. Or the trees, actually. And <laughs> and they were beautiful. So it was, it was a, I, I loved it while it was here. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Enjoy. You too. And, folks, on Saturday mornings we get together, but here's the phone numbers, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And we have a discussion about what's impacting you and your landscape and everything else, your specialty garden spaces, your lawns, and uh, let's see, we've got some houseplants. Do I need to put them in a bigger pot because they seem to be pot-bound? Or how to improve your soil this time of year? Or should I be doing any kind of pruning or shearing? Or what is that stuff that's on my plants? Is that bugs or diseases or what is that? Maybe it's just lichen. Maybe it's nothing you have to worry about. Using information will help make you or help you make good decisions. And my thoughts hopefully will open and solidify those options, but the final judgment is going to be on your part. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Alex. He's producing, like usual. He's been here. I don't know how long you've been producing the Garden Hotline. 
It's been a few months. Yeah. Yeah. So you're Two really, or three months, I believe. Really smooth. And folks, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And uh, if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a landscape consultation, uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and uh, my consultations I call Walk and Talks. And you can just look at the homepage where my email address and phone number is and where I can be reached. Uh, besides being 25 years of doing this show, I've taught at the Community College at Merrimack. I've taught at the Botanical Garden, been on the staff of the Botanical Garden, managed a garden center, helped co-found a predatory insect store, written five gardening books, and uh, uh, I just enjoy the outdoors. I can't put it any other way. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tracy asked me last night as we were you know, getting ready to go to bed, she said, do you know where you're going to take your Good Gardening Stroll tomorrow? I said, no, I never really know until I kind of get up for the most part, unless there's something very special going on. But uh, today's, I thought, hmm, as I got up and... Headed out the door, where should I go? And I thought, here, here, here. And I thought, no, th- I'll go to a place I haven't been for a little bit, of, you know, a little while. And the sky was really starting to lighten. A tugboat was heading south. The lawn was spiced with frost. And the sign in the turnaround says, Sister Marie Charles Park. Sister Marie Charles Park is a long Broadway. And wow, we, it's just like, hmm, hmm. As I looked up to the sky as I stepped out of my car, the moon was about the, it was in the southwest sky, it was about three quarters. And there was also numerous, in the park, numerous single and multi-trunk birch trees. They were kind of setting the stage of the future. Right now, they're still fairly young. There was locust tree pods all over the ground in one part of the walkway. And there's an observation site and gives you a great view of the barges that are waiting and also along that, the bluff area, it's not really the bluffs there. I guess it is because it drops pretty quickly off the edge of this park. Um, you can see all kinds of wildflowers and weeds and honeysuckle vines and wild grapes and some native grasses and all kinds of other stuff that just kind of has made itself a home there. And uh, along the Mississippi Riverbank, there is benches, but uh, a little cool to be just sitting on a bench. There were some crabapple trees, which uh, had crabapples that were dangling. And a sign reads, Park Curfew, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Luckily, it was about 6.20 when I was there, maybe closer to 6.30. And along uh, the way, you're going to see maple trees. You're going to see elm trees. They dominate certain areas. You're going to see more crabapples as well. And on the west side, that's where the bluffs, on top of these bluffs, that's where Bell Reeve Park is. So a lot of times you've heard me take good gardening strolls in Bell Reeve Park, but uh, this, you know, this park down here, Sister Marie Charles Park, uh, I used to walk down there, but it didn't have an official name. Now it has an official name, and it really looks, you know, it's really kind of nice. There's, It's very easy and, you know, nice and stroll. And uh, just uh, cardinals were all over the place. I didn't see too many other birds, so I was a little bit surprised why so many cardinals were out. But anyway, at the end of the walk, there's a sign that warns you that this is a combined sewer overflow area. Ooh, I don't know what that means, but uh, I ran quickly. No, I didn't. There was honeysuckle shrubs that pepper along the way, too. And it was a great morning to be along the banks of the mighty Mississippi River. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 
436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This past Thursday evening, uh, Ryan Recker had me on his show, and it was related to uh, the leaves, the leaves uh, on the ground and just other questions, too. Now, I was a little bit upset because I think he had me on a show just because he didn't want to take time to call in during the regular show time. I, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, his question was, I guess he had read something related to just mowing your leaves and just leaving them sit because, you know, they're organic and they can, you know, there wouldn't be a problem doing that. Now, if you don't have all that many leaves, it is possible to do that. But the leaf, if they fall and get too deep, it's going to be problematic if you mow them or if you don't. If you mow them and the actually debris from mowing, whether it's a mulching mower or anything else, gets deeper than one inch, it can cause some real problem for your lawn. And especially, it doesn't really matter problematic from a standpoint of uh, whether it's cool or warm season. What it does is it can reduce the amount of sunlight getting to the, the blades of the plants and guess what? That's not good. So even though the plants, in theory, are kind of asleep because it's wintertime, they are still needing sunlight to keep themselves healthy. Also, if it gets you know thicker than an inch, and this is things that have been mowed with mulching mower, regular mower, or anything else, it, it holds too much moisture and prevents the evaporation of moisture out of your soil. Then it leads to disease problems, bacteria, funguses, and things like that. So that was really the reason he had I guess he had read something where somebody had said, don't bother raking, just leave them, just mow over them, and blah, blah, blah. No, don't do that. So anyway, let's head over to Shirley's yard. And Shirley, how are you today? Good morning. Hi. Yes, uh, I had a question about when uh, is the best time to prune burning bushes, uh, hydrangeas. I think my hydrangea is an endless summer. And uh, the forever roses, the forever blooming roses. Yeah. Uh, basically, with with the burning bush, you can pretty much prune them anytime once the foliage has fallen off. I'm assuming you probably still have some red foliage on yours. Yes. And so you might as well enjoy it as long as you possibly can. Then you can, you have the option of pruning all the way through the wintertime until the new growth begins in the springtime. And with the hydrangeas, I don't really recommend pruning any kind of hydrangea, to be honest with you. Cutting off the flowers, yes, the flower clusters, if you don't like to look at those. And as far as the roses go, we have had a severe frost, cold. You know, it's been cold enough where you can prune your roses. And if it's, uh, you know, the knockout-type roses, continuous blooming or those type things, uh, if they're, I never really like to cut off more than like 25% of those type shrub roses. But on like uh, the hybrid teas, grandiflores and floribundas, they're really cut so the canes are only about 8 or 10 inches. And then you put a really a good amount of mulch over the top of the crown to, to, uh, to protect them for the wintertime. So it's too late, though, to really prune those now. We could prune those in the spring. The roses? Yes. No, you can still prune them. Oh, can you? Yeah. Okay. Now, how do I know what type, what variety of rose this is? I don't know. I didn't plant it. <laughs> so if it looks like a big shrub, then it's probably a knockout or a shrub-type rose. Yes. If it, it only has three sticks coming out or four sticks coming up out of the ground, then it's one of the hybrids. 
No, no, it's it's a it's a large bush. Yeah, so then basically cutting twenty five percent off, you know, that would be what my recommendation would be. Now there are people that cut them all the way back down to like six or eight inches, but I think you're just taking a you know a big major chance when you do something like that. What about uh, dogs pottying on your your evergreen shrubs? Is that <laughs> Is that not recommended? <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, it's the alkalinity. So right. generally evergreens like an acidic circumstance. So it'd be like going out there and throwing a handful of rock salt at the base of them and just letting okay. the rock salt melt. I'm not saying it's going to, you know, the urine is that intense, but, it, you know, over time it can just, you know, cause some potential problems from an alkalinity standpoint versus what they really like. So, in other words, salty versus vinegar. They like it more vinegar. Okay. And the other thing would be use. The best time to, to prune use. I don't like to prune any kind of evergreen going into wintertime because we have okay. no idea what it's going to be like. So you cut off some stuff, then we get a you know major winter kill on it, and then that's where the trouble comes in. So about the end of March would be a good time to prune those? like the use and things like that? Uh, you don't probably have to wait that late until, you know, let's say after the 1st of March. But, yeah, sometime in that period, weather dependent or anything else. But usually even if we have really kind of, let's say, what we consider harsh weather temperature-wise, that time of year is not really going to do damage to most shrubs or, tr- you know, pr- pretty much nothing. Okay. And, the, and how much of the burning bush should we have? They've really grown large because of all the rain we've had. How much can we prune those? Um, just watch I mean, out. If you, you're probably better off just to, you know, over a period of a couple years to get them down to the size that you want to more or less keep them. But just okay. realize genetically, the, even the dwarf burning bush can get 8 feet high and 8 feet wide, and the standard one gets 10 feet high and 10 feet wide. So, you know, not understanding when you bought that or when it was put in by somebody else, uh, that how big it was going to get in the placement was uh, just a, somewhat of a mistake. Plants sure. like that are always better off to just be left alone to grow wherever and as big okay. as they want. I see. Okay. All right. Any other questions, John? No, thank you so much. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. If you have any questions yourself, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. After the show today, I'm actually heading home. Now, what I do is we've got the, you know, if you listen to the show a lot or at all, the three maple trees, because we're on a corner, and two of them have pretty much lost the majority of the leaves. The other one's still holding on to a lot of leaves. But I do you know, chop my leaves up. But what I do when I chop them up is I bag them, then I put them in a plastic bag, and then I take them around into the alley to the yard waste dumpster. So I do cut them up, but I don't just let them stay on the ground. They, I, you know, one of those bags on the back of a mower, then I just dump it into a plastic bag and just, you know, I just continually do that. And uh, luckily, I shouldn't say luckily, but ultimately what's going to happen is, since Christie Park's right across the street and we're on the northeast corner, all the prevailing winds blow all the leaves up in our direction. So we are going to end up with huge amounts of leaves. And they haven't fallen yet out of, off the trees. I thought surely when we got that, that cold weather that it was going to knock all the leaves off almost instantly. It did on a couple trees, but for the most part, a lot of the trees still have quite a few leaves left. 
and not just oak trees, which hang on to them, you know, through most of the wintertime. So this is things like sycamores, linden trees, all that kind of stuff have still got a huge amount of leaves. Once they fall to the ground and the winds start blowing, then they end up in, you know, in my yard or our yard or whatever, in our part of the, let's say, the neighborhood related to the park. And that's when it gets so deep, my mower can't cut it because there could be actually, you know, any place between 9 and 15 inches of, of leaves, uh, you know, and on part of our landscape. So then I just have to rake and put them in the bag and then take them around to the yard waste dumpster. Let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. How are you? Yeah, I was wondering about uh, wintering tuberous begonias, what I need to do for that, and also uh, I have some elephant ears, the bulbs. Uh, how do I handle those to get over winter? Uh, you're, you're not trying to leave them in the ground, are you? Uh, no, I, I realize i got to dig them up, but uh, I've never done that before. Yeah, just dig them up gently. Shake a bunch of this, you know, shake the soil off of them, kind of look at them a little bit, then just put them in a paper bag and then just bring them in and put them in your basement. Do I, okay, when in the basement, do I let them dry out completely or do I, do I keep them a little bit moist? No, no, they're fine. Just leave them alone. I, I usually put mine, elephant ears and amaryllis and a few of the, let's say, designer type of cannas, I have them in cardboard boxes and I just stick them underneath a workbench. And they're in the dark there, and I just leave them alone the entire winter time. So they don't need any moisture. They don't need anything. Now, some people, like, put their – they have their elephant ears in pots, and they bring them in and actually grow them as a house plant. To me, they're a little bit large and that kind of stuff, so I don't do that with those. And then your tuberous begonia, the same thing. I would probably – my tendency would be with those is to bring them in, put them in a pot, and put them in a real sunny window and see if you can grow them through the winter time. Ah, okay. Uh, all right, well, thank you for your service. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Lynn's yard. Hi, Lynn. Hi, I have a question regarding perennials. I live in Springfield, Illinois, in the country. Do I cut them back? Yes, basically any kind of you know perennial, once the foliage starts turning brown, you know, cut the foliage off and get rid of it especially plants that have a tendency to have a lot of foliar-type diseases like peonies. So if you just let them sort of, the, the let's say, the stems and the leaves and everything just kind of wilt down due to the cold due to the wintertime and lay there, you could just be re-inoculating the soil or the circumstance for that plant to have the disease again next year. By cleaning them up, you don't necessarily guarantee that you're not going to have any kind of foliar disease, but you're certainly going to reduce the amount of uh, chance that it's going to occur, and then with the perennials too, if you're in, if you like to mulch, you know, just you know, get some composted mulch. Don't use mulch that's like stuff out of a where a tree services come by and cut off a, a bunch of tree branches off of power lines and run them through a chipper and then they give them to you for free or something. You don't want to put that on any really on anything, but uh, with the mulch, you want about one to two inches over the perennial areas. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. Hey, how are you? Very good. I uh, I am a complete amateur with uh, planting anything, but I, I did want to ask you, my brother-in-law gave me some stalks that uh, I thought he told me they were hibiscus. And uh, I had another 
friend of mine told me she thought they were rows of Sharon. And uh, I just wondered if it's okay to go ahead and trim them down now or if I need to wait until in the spring. Well, basically, Rosa Sharon is in the hibiscus family, so they look like, you know, whatever. They look like cousins yeah. to each other. Certain There are certain varieties of hibiscus that have huge flowers, eight or nine inches across. If it's Rosa Sharon, they're probably going to be three or four inches across. Any You know, color-wise, usually kind of a purplish or reddish color. But uh, they're summer bloomers, so they finish blooming. You can go ahead and prune them now if you want to, or you can wait till next, you know, next year, and sometime in let's say February, March, before the new growth, meaning foliage begins, prune them at that time. Okay. All right. Yeah, these things. I don't know how tall they'll get, but I've trimmed them at about probably eight foot tall or higher. So. Yeah. So they're that's pretty tall, and they're not going to get too much taller than that. Maybe ten feet. But their tendency is to always get really wide at the top, and then they look like just sort of barren sticks at the bottom. And when they get that tall as well, that's where most of the flowers are. So unless you have a two-story house looking down on them, you never get to get to see the flowers until the flower is finished and it curls up and falls onto the ground. Yeah, and in the in the fall, they seem like they get, I don't know, pods on them, and they're heavy, and they just, the, the limbs drip or droop down. Right. Okay. All right. So if I cut them down, say they're eight foot now, if I cut them down to about five foot or something, is that going to damage them? Or no, it's they really going to be pretty hardy. Yeah. I mean, and anything that flowers in the summertime, like roses, sheeran, butterfly bushes, and things along that line, crepe myrtle, they their flower buds are set on new growth of the following year. So you can prune them. You don't have to worry about it. Spring flowering things, you prune them now. You prune them in the early spring before they flower. You're just basically cutting off the flowers. So uh-huh. the, with the summer bloomers, you got all the way up until really the new growth foliage-wise begins to come out. Then you could still do it, but uh, you're just taking a little bit more of a chance. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Great. Well, thanks for calling, and thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have any questions or concerns. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Speaking of voice of the Cardinals, just recently, the Cardinals and KMOX have signed another deal for five more years. So in five years, I'll be 75 years old. My God. I don't even know if I'll be able to hear radio when I'm 75. But uh, when you go out and take a look and walk around your landscape, your yard, or anything else, you are going to see some weeds. There's no getting around it. And even if you've done the pre-emergence, the post-emergence, and everything else, there are probably likely still going to be some of the weeds. And what these are, they're the annual cool season weeds, and they germinate from seed You know, these germinated uh, sometime between mid to late August, early September. And those are henbit, uh, dead nettle. They're both varieties of lamiums, and they have square stems. There's common chickweed, the annual bluegrass. That's one that I have consistently problems with. I can't, you know, I can't figure out how I'm, you know, what I'm, how I'm missing getting rid of it, but... uh, it's still coming around. There's also a type of clover. There's shepherd's purse. But one thing that's actually considered a warm season annual weed is spurge. And I'm still seeing spurge some places, and I, especially in cracks in the sidewalk. 
and stuff like that. It's just like you're supposed to be dead because it's cold, but uh, it shows you how adaptable some of these weeds you know, can actually be. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. One of the things you can do for your, just your overall health of your tree is something called deep root feeding. This is something that I started doing, which I didn't even know this was something you should be doing. When I worked at the Botanical Garden, four of the five years I worked in the English Woodland Garden, and uh, I forget who told me or talked to me about deep root feeding. It's one of the staff people, one of the, let's say, higher-ups or whatever it happens to be. And what this is, you take an electric drill and you get an earth auger, which is a big drill bit, and you just drill holes around where the trees are. Now, in the woodland garden, it was very random. If you have sort of single-planted trees, come out about halfway from the trunk to the drip line, and that's the extension of the branches, and just d- drill holes concentric in circle shape all the way around. And then you backfill those holes with compost. And then you move out about two feet in another circle, and then another circle, another circle. And you go just beyond the drip line because that's where all the feeder roots are. But what you're doing by doing that is indirectly you're feeding your tree because you're feeding the soil, a healthy, nutrient-rich soil, then feeds your trees. And that's a much better way to feed your trees rather than tree stakes and all that other kind of stuff. So anyway, let's head over to Gene's yard. And Gene, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, you may have already answered this. I just got on the radio listening to you this morning. Uh, mowing, mowing up leaves. Now, I've got a mulching mower, and, boy, it really mows it up nice and fine. Do I have to rake it after I mow it, or is it okay to leave those small pieces on the ground? If they're not any – if when you look back over your shoulder after you run over with your mulching mower – and you can still see the grass blades and everything, you should be fine. But once even, you know, let's say clippings or chopped up leaves, even with a mulching mower, if it gets, you know, deeper or thicker than one inch, it can be problematic from very, very many different standpoints. One of those being it prevents evaporation uh, from the soil. So consequently, a higher moisture level at the, you know, at the ground level could lead to fungus problems, which during the winter, fungus problems are not deadly, but it weakens your lawn just in general. And also it reduces the amount of sunlight that hits your lawn. And even during the winter, your lawn still needs sunlight to stay healthy. So it's okay if they're not too deep, but over an inch thick, then it's, you should be bagging them as well or raking them after you mulch them. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And like you you missed it, but I have a mulching mower myself, but I don't do the mulching this time of year. I just put a bag on my mower, and then I run it over. It picks up all the leaves. It chops them up. Then I put them in a plastic bag and then take them around into the alley to the yard waste dumpster. So that's what I happen to do. Let's head over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hello. Hey. Hi, Joe. Good morning. I have a, a like 50-foot maple tree in my front yard that's 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And every year, just one half of it in the fall turns uh, fall colors and all the leaves start dropping off of just one half of the tree. Can you tell me why? Uh, that's really kind of a tough one. Is there a, another tree close by that might be shadowing the side that doesn't? No, 
Not at all. It, it, well, it's next to the house, but not that close. It's maybe 30 feet from the house. Yeah, but usually when something like that happens or occurs, it's just because one side of the tree is being shadowed by something. And oh, okay. so it may be just the result of your, you know, your house shadowing that side. Okay, and second question real quick. Is, is it okay just to mulch the leaves in the, in the yard and leave them there? No. Rather than take them up? It's, it, if it gets too deep, you're going to cause your lawn more trouble than your, what, you're gonna, you, what you would ever anticipate. So that's oh, not okay. the best thing to do. I mean, to okay. run over the top of them and just leave them. As I was telling the previous caller, if, it, if the debris gets you know, more than an inch deep, then it can cause problems from several different standpoints. The amount of sunlight oh, okay. hitting your lawn and also you know, preventing evaporation of moisture from the ground, and that leads to fungus problems. Okay, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. So, if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Our studio here at KMOX looks out, and we're on the, I guess it would be the north side of the Soldier's Memorial. But I think today, I think... uh, Alex told me that there is a, a race going on. It's Girls on the Run, and there is a huge amount of kids out there. I guess they're going to do a 5K run. That seems like a long way for girls, but uh, not girls. Just I shouldn't say that for any kid. I don't think I ran for 5K in my entire life as a kid. So I shouldn't have said girls. Sorry, I said girls. But anyway, 5K is, seems like a long way to be running. So. Let's head back to the phones and head over to Justin's yard. Hi, Justin. Good morning. Hi. Hey, I think you've partly answered my question since I've been on the line here. But earlier in the show, you mentioned not using chippings, like from a tree trimmer, as mulch. Right. What consequences or what kind of problems am I causing? I'm out in the country and and using it like on 20 acres worth of trees, and uh, they drop it off for free. I let it dry a year. But then I've, I've been using that as mulch for years. I'm just wondering what the consequences or what kind of problems I might be creating. Basically, if you let it sit for a year, it should be okay. So okay. that you mean just green, green. Right. In green, other words, uh, in other words, they've cut the stuff off the power lines in your neighborhood, and then they come by and say, "Would you like it?" Anything that's really raw, what it does is. When it hits the ground, it starts binding up nutrients and especially nitrogen because the decomposing process holds up nitrogen and then that starves other plant materials. So that's why you don't want to put anything raw, wood products, wood chips, or anything else. But if you let them sit for a year, then you're fine. Okay. That answers my question. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, and it's a... I mean... If you've got grass clippings and you've got uh, leaves and everything else and you don't have, like we do here in the city, yard waste dumpsters, and maybe there's other cities that have yard waste dumpsters too, and you want to have a compost barrel or a compost pile of your own, after it gets so many inches of debris out of your yard, adding a little bit of fertilizer to that is to the advantage too. So, And with the chips, you don't necessarily have to do it after they sat for a year. But even with you know cl- or chips from uh, you know a, tr- a tree shredder or cl- you know you putting right. the nitrogen on it or putting fertilizer on it is not going to help. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And uh, let's go now to Dan's yard. Hi, Dan. Howdy. Yeah. Hello? Go. 
Go ahead. Hello? Yes. Hello. No. Yes. I can't. I can't hear you. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, Mike. Uh, I was wondering. I know this may sound a little strange, but I've been wanting to to grow trees like uh, fruit trees from seeds. Is that possible nowadays? Uh-huh. That would be a, a a very long, involved process. I don't even know if you can. To you be do honest apple with you. trees like the olden days. <laughs> uh, yeah, I you know, I you know, I don't even know if even back in the olden days. I think people even way back when were taking cuttings off trees as opposed to trying to grow them from seed. Now I you see. might be able to like avocado seeds. You can get them to sprout, but if you probably what I'd want to do before I invested too much. I would take whatever seed, if it's apple seeds, pear seeds, peach seeds, and just you know put them in like a and keep the uh, let's say the paper towel wet and see if you can get the actually the seed to germinate at all to break open and start pushing out any kind of growth, whether it's root systems or stems or anything. But uh, to grow fruit trees or any kind of trees from seed, maple trees. You know, junipers, all that kind of stuff seems to be very, relatively easy because birds eat the fruits, then they go to the bathroom, and wherever it drops, not you know, percentage-wise, it's still going to be pretty, you know, pretty minimal. But uh, to do it from seed, uh, you know, yourself, that's going to be a tough process. Okay, I just I was curious because uh, you know, I w- when I used to live in California, uh, you could drop a seed and it would grow, and you get a nectarine tree or an avocado tree, like you said, in no time. Seemed like, but uh, here in Missouri, I. I was wondering. Yeah, it's a it's a little tough, you know, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Certainly. And the way, I mean, you could go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and see what they recommend as far as doing it. But well, I that's think a good you, idea. You know, you're going to just be spinning your wheels. Okay. <laughs> thanks again. <laughs> sure. And it's just it's so easy just to take a cutting. You know, get a branch, take a cutting uh, about 12 inches or so, cut it at a 45-degree angle, then dip it into a rooting hormone, then put it into a potting mix for starting plants. Then you could have, a you know, a tree going relatively quickly. So it's, you know, personal choice, but from seed, I don't know. Glenn, how are you I'm today? I'm on the phone. Hi, Glenn. Yes. Uh, I got two questions. Uh what would happen if I'd put mulch over top of uh, rocks around the house? As far as, I mean, ultimately the mulch is going to biodegrade. You're going to have to replenish it, but if, it's, there's no problem doing it. If you just want to have, if you're sick of looking at rock mulch, you want to have, let's say, a natural looking mulch, there's nothing, you know, no wrong to, in, to do, go ahead and do it. Okay, I, my wife don't like the rock, and she wanted to put uh, mulch over top of it, and I was just kind of wondering if that'd be okay then. Yeah, it won't hurt anything. Now I will That's tell you, 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 you know, potentially uh, you're going to have to replenish it. I wouldn't make it too deep because right. you don't want to pile it up if you have any kind of plant material in there. But uh, if you have perennials, you know, one to two inches of ground cover, you don't want to bury any kind of evergreen ground cover. And um, so other than that, that's about all you need to be concerned with. How's the best way to keep weeds out of out of, out of a rock garden like that? I mean, around a house. Uh, but probably there's 
even if you have landscape fabric underneath, what happens is that prevents the weeds from germinating that are underneath the fabric, that are roots, you know, let's say from dandelions or something like that. But the weeds that are germinating in the rock mulch, that's because the weed seeds are coming in, either blowing in right. or you know, birds are bringing them in or something like that. Then a pre-emergent twice a year, once in the spring, once in late summer, and then going after them with an herbicide after that as soon as you see them is about the only way, or you know, pulling them by hand. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. Yeah, rock mulch, any kind of mulch, you know, days of old we always thought, well, you know, mulch is going to reduce the weed problem. No, that's not necessarily the case. It's just depending upon what the circumstance and the situation. Susan, how are you today? Uh, fine. Um, I have a flower that um, I called uh, last week, and you said I could just pull them out and put the seeds in the ground. And I do that every year, and it comes up. It's called C-E-L-O-S-I-A flower. Are you familiar with that? I think they call it uh, like some of them. Uh, one of it, actually, it looks like a S-T-E-E-M-I-T flower, <laughs> uh, chicken comb, or it's celosia. Is that what it is? Yes. I, and what I was wondering is, I have dirt down there, and I usually just buy a bag of really good soil and dump it on top in the spring, mm-hmm. and these things come up. You know, they come up kind of like weeds. Actually, I get a whole lot of them. What I'm wondering is if I can put something on the ground to keep the weeds from coming up. Now, if you do that, then you're going to prevent these seeds from germinating. Okay, okay. So just let it go and pull the weeds as Right, needed. exactly. Okay. So, All right, thank uh, you. Yeah, pre-emergent could care what the seeds are. They're just going to kill the seeds, and there's mm-hmm. nothing that you can do about it. And post-emergent, then you can, I mean, you can spray on it and do things along that line. But then if you get it on the celosia seeds that are germinating, you've killed them that way. So Okay, okay. That's what I kind of thought. I just yeah. wanted to verify that. Right. All right, thank you. Certainly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's about time for, I, I have the sweet alyssum, which is a small white flower, clusters, smells great and everything else. Uh, this past week, the cold uh, makes them look kind of rough. So I'm probably going to maybe cut the majority of them off and uh, go ahead and throw them into the compost yard waste dumpster. And uh, then that's going to, those spots are going to look kind of ugly and naked for the rest of the year. But uh, if you do live in an area where there are deer, here's some of the trees that you can grow that, uh, and trees and shrubs that you can grow that deer generally don't like. Gold thread branch cypress, the hawthorns, the American holly, the junipers, the birch tr- paper bark birches, Lacothia, Rosa Sharon, blue spruce, witch hazel. That just gives you some, and ginkgo trees. And for some reason, they don't like oak leaf hydrangea, hydrangea versus regular hydrangea. I'm not exactly sure why. And then for an herbaceous standpoint, any of the herbs the deer generally don't like. So if you do have any questions or concerns, we've got another hour of the Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. See you after the news. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now, Mr. Kelly... Yes, sir. I see you're writing something. Am I interrupting you? No, just temperatures were 
It's warmer than I thought it was. It's 34 now in Edwardsville, 36 in St. Charles, and 34 downtown at the Gateway Ah, Arch. Now, what, yeah, do you feed you, what do you feed your cardinals? You were mentioning them in the other last Sunflowers. Hour. Sunflowers. Just sunflower. I don't get the ones with the little corn or any of that stuff. Just sunflowers. Right. And you get the small black ones, or you get a specific Just type? whatever. Yeah. Sunflowers, The sunflowers. big 50-pound bags. Whoa. Because we've got, well, and, and, you know, the cardinals eat some, and you got chickadees and the other ones. Even the finches seem to prefer the sunflowers now. They they don't touch the finch feeders much. Really? So, so I've got... for the thistle seed? No, they really? haven't been. Yeah, I don't know why. Mm. I mean, sometimes it seems like they'll go through that just like wildfire, but right. lately they haven't really touched it, so I've just been doing sunflowers quite a bit. Wow, that's yeah. great. And it seems to work pretty well. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much for the insight. Yes, folks, and the garden hotline, tip of the trowel, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selections. What's happening with your annuals? Did anybody have any pansies that survived that cold spell? How about your bulbs? Uh Uh-oh. You were going through the garage, and all of a sudden, those those tulips, I guess I didn't get those planted. What should you do? How about the edibles, the cool season vegetables? Hmm, how are they doing? And uh, your herbs, your hardy herbs, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials. Your roses, should you be cutting back your roses? You have hybrid teas, grandifloras, and climbing roses. Should you cut them back? How much should you cut them back? How about those evergreen shrubs? Uh, they keep blocking the view outside the window. How about the, your clematis vines or your water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. And across the big board is Alex. He's the one that pushes all the buttons. So when you call in, he just needs to have your name and where you're calling from. What you're calling about he doesn't need to know. He doesn't care. No, he really cares, but uh, no. So anyway, during the week, I do landscape consulting and sometimes on the weekend, and that's when I come to your home and I can help you solve aesthetic or problem situations. And if you're interested in even giving a gift certificate, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number are listed. And the good and the good good gardening stroll page or the good gardening page and my website. That's where my monthly updates are. For each month, I you know kind of customize it to what's happened the prior months and what you need to be thinking about during the current month. And I, I share my thoughts so when I come to your home, forty plus years, and it relates to landscape design, plant care, and maintenance, and everything else. Tip of the trial is a special recognition. For individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The Botanical Garden has had so many different exhibits and everything else, but there, there is something that's going on. It actually started yesterday, and it goes all the way until March 17th. It kind of taught me. It kind of caught me by surprise just a little bit. Now this is going to be in the Stephen and Peter Sachs Museum at the Missouri Botanical Garden, and that's the brick building, you know, up in the far end of the Botanical Garden. And Henry Shaw built it to be a library herbarium and to hold natural history specimens. And really, a unique circumstance. When I worked there, it was really kind of just open. Um, we had staff meetings and things like that in there. 
Then since then, it's been a restaurant and everything else. Now it has been turned into a museum, and there's a special exhibit there. Now, this exhibit is um, with potatoes, the Solanum tuberosum, the apple of the earth. Again, this is all kinds of different things related to potatoes. I never thought there would be an exhibit. I don't know why I didn't. It's just, you know, one for basically related to potatoes. It's, it's going to be a great, you know, exhibit and everything else. Also, of course, there's going to be Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head as part of the potato exhibit. But uh, it's included with a garden admission. And again, it is in the Stephen and Peter Sachs Museum, which is up near Tower Grove House. So it's up on the far end of the Botanical Garden. So a potato exhibit, I just, all the stuff, all the years, everything else, I just don't ever remember having a potato exhibit. But perfect for uh, this time of year with Thanksgiving. So if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You know, I'm kind of a tough person, so uh, Alex has a question, but uh, I told him he's going to have to call in. That's not me, but the guy's oh, got a great call? name. I thought it was you. Greatest name in the world. It's a great name. <laughs> Absolutely. Alex, how are you today? Good. How are you? Very good. Okay, so two years ago, uh, in the spring, I planted 15 um, Leland cypresses mm -hmm. along the long part of my property to kind of do as a privacy type thing. Um, and I, I water them every other day for the last two years. The first year I did it with a wand, and I realized that it would take me way too long, so then I got a soaker hose. And I do that, but I was wondering, when is the point when you have to stop doing that? You should have already stopped. After usually about the first growing season, you should not have to be watering that much, especially, with, I'm assuming you weren't watering when we were having all that rain this past spring and stuff like that. Oh, no, no. We, uh, I had turned it off. It was on an automatic thing, and I had turned that off during that season. Uh, when I planted them, they were about 12 inches tall, and now they're, probably two feet tall, maybe right. three. Um, so, yeah, I was wondering, I know, I, I know there's a cutoff, you know, when you should just let nature take over. Right. And, I, and obviously if you have three weeks of blistering heat, you might want to drag a hose out to them. <laughs> yeah. If you have but, an extended period of, uh, you know, let's say more than two weeks of no rainfall, then additional watering may be needed. Okay. And this year, this, this past spring, I put in, a weeping willow and two river birch, clump river birches, and I watered them through the whole spring and mm -hmm. summer. So I shouldn't have to water them next year? No, you shouldn't have to do any additional watering at all. The watering helps them get the root system established, so um, they should be fine. Now, again, if we have extended periods of no rainfall, you might want to do the, some watering. So what happens if there's no rainfall? The feeder roots can dehydrate and sort of like reduce biomass, and then that means the tree could be a little bit under stress. Right. Now, I was also putting in, what What about, you know, using like fertilizer or those little posts that you, you know, beat into the ground? Is that stuff necessary or is that just No, that stuff is pretty much money on. Yeah, you're just wasting <laughs> your time and energy. 
just so your soil is in good health. As I, you know, if you were listening, I do. There's something called deep root feeding. As the plant materials get more mature, or even when they're young, just auger some holes, electric drill with earth auger, and close by the plant material that you're, you know, concerned with, and just backfill those holes about six inches deep with uh, compost. How many of those per plant? Well, it depends upon the size of the plant, but, uh, you know, just three or four, depending upon, from, it sounds like the size of plants that you have. Three or four, if the if the birches and the willow trees are bigger, then you want to go They're out about... They're much bigger, yeah. yeah. So if you want to go out about halfway from the trunk to the drip line and then do a concentric circle all the way around and, you know, about a foot apart... Backfill them with compost, then go out about two feet, then two feet, and then just go b- just beyond the drip line. And how how uh, how big was the circle again? Uh, the, hole? It, the hole is there's something called an earth auger, which is a type of drill bit that you can get at garden centers. It's probably okay. a drill bit that's about uh, let's say an inch. Oh wow, so small. Yeah, well, it's not huge. No, it's small. Okay. All right, no problem. Well, that sounds a lot easier because it. I was thinking, man, I think I'm wasting a lot of water here. <laughs> and I don't know if it's hurting them, you know. Um, I was trying to see if they turned yellow because I know that's a sign of overwatering. Right, exactly. But, but you know, I don't know. I, I can be a little too much on things at times, making sure <laughs> things are going right. So <laughs> I'm just going to let them go next year. Yep. Good if idea. If get a lot of heat, I'll drag a hose out. Sounds perfect. Very good. I appreciate the information. Sure. Thanks, Alex, for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions or concerns about this crazy weather. I mean, the other day, I'm, you know, I wear shorts year-round, but uh, you know, no flip-flops when it gets really cold for sure. But uh, I have to admit that uh, when I was walking the other day, in our neighborhood, we have a thermometer in our backyard. It said it was it was like 13 or something. I think uh, the official cold temperature was 16. But uh, I usually walk about 15 or 20 minutes in the morning, usually at dawn or pre-dawn a little bit. And when I got back, it was like my legs weren't really all that cold, but my fingers were cold. I can't believe that my fingers get cold even though I had gloves on. But anyway, enough of that stuff. Let's go over to Cindy's yard. Hi, Cindy. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was wondering, um, I wondered how a nine bark shrub would do, like in a partial shady, like under the tree canopy location. Uh, under the tree, then it's competing with tree roots. That's not going to be so good. Does it require more sun or can it go with partial shade? Let me ask you that. Well, you know, if the shade's created by trees, that usually means there's going to be tree feeder roots in a close proximity. It doesn't like to compete with other things. It really likes okay. to be kind of out on its own and you know fully open. Part shade, kind of like- you know, it's not really going it, to. It'll survive. I don't know if aesthetically it's going to give you what you want. Gotcha. Okay, very good. And then I had one other question about an oak tree. I planted it about ten years ago, and it's probably about twenty-five feet tall now. It's been doing real good, but at the latter part of the summer this year, the crown of it the leaves started turning brown and it didn't go all the way down the tree. And I didn't know if it was just maybe the 
season this year, or maybe I should keep an eye out for a disease. I'm hoping it all comes back next year, but I was wondering what your experience with that has been. Yeah, I would probably think it's more weather-related than anything, because we had a huge amount of, you know, water slash rain, you know, from most of the springtime into early summer, and then we it was almost like the tap was turned off, and then we had extended periods where it was pretty darn dry. So in the top of the tree, that's where, you know, it takes a long time to push, you know, pump water up through the vascular system or the veins of the tree to the top. Okay. So it's probably related to that. Okay, well, good, because I really would hate to lose it. Um, it's really growing real nicely. But, again, I appreciate your time, and thank you for so much for your call again. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Now let's head over and go into Eileen's yard. Hi, Eileen. Hi. Hi. I have uh, two questions. One is, before the snow hit, I put a plastic bag over my uh, Rosa Sharon. It did have buds on it, and also I have two mini um, uh, magnolia bushes. And um, I'm going to uncover them today, but should I cut them down or cut the buds off or just leave it alone? The buds are probably killed anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not going to do any good on, you know, the magnolia, they should be fine. Now, plastic is not the best thing to put over the top of something. Okay. So Mm. what it can do is it can create all kinds of nightmares from a moisture standpoint, humidity and everything else. So burlap, a burlap bag, or just wrap, you know, put uh, some stakes and put some burlap around just to act as a windbreak. Because if the plants you put in are, let's say, tough for this this zone that we are in, which is a crazy zone. But anyway, plastic (laughs) is not the ideal thing to do. Okay. So when I take them off, should I trim them or just leave them alone? I would say leave them alone. Okay. And the other thing is we have uh, deer coming through, and two, three of my arborvitae, they're about, I don't know, 15 feet tall. The male deer, they rub their antlers on them, and they've removed the bark on one side. Ooh. What do I know? And um, what do I do to protect the tree through the winter? Uh, the there's, I mean, uh, put some... Put some kind of fencing or something around them, physical, to keep you know to keep the deer away. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I have I have eleven of them. Okay. Oh. But I mean, three got hit. Three right. got hit. Oh, okay. And then the other thing is, I we had we used to live in uh, West County and um, snapdragons and uh, the vinca. The deer never bothered them. They ate everything else, but they never bothered the vinca. They ate petunias. Uh, but they never bothered uh, snapdragons or um, vinca. So and that's what I planted this year, and nothing got eaten. All right, great. Yeah, there are certain okay. plants that they, you know, they stay away from, and I'm not exactly sure why they stay away from them. Uh, from an annual standpoint, marigolds they don't like. They don't like uh, globe amaranths, snapdragons, like you say, cleome they don't like either. And so there's certain ones that, for whatever reason, they just bypass. And uh, yeah. And with the perennials, it's usually the ones that have fuzzy leaves or, like, the, the, there's actually a type of vinca, a ground cover vinca, which has blue yeah, flowers in the they, spring. They don't go for that, that one either. They don't bother that at all. Right. 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 Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you answering my question. Sure. My pleasure. Okay. Take care. Bye. And now let's head over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Good morning. How are you? Very good. I, uh, I have a large group of forsythias in my backyard Mm -hmm. and i don't remember them being brown and this year they seem to be the leaves are turning a brown instead of green and 
kind of wilted looking and dropping. Do I have something going on with those with a fungus or anything? So you're talking about this happened in the early spring, not this just recently. No, just recently. Oh, then it's weather related. I would say, you know, you really don't have any concerns with them at all. If they were healthy all the way up to the point of just a couple weeks ago or whatever it happens to be, that's just, you know, it's goofy, crazy weather. Okay. And what you can do is, you know, wait for another month or so, then go out and off each one or however many you want to, take a clipping, you know, a stem clipping uh, about a 8 or 10 inches, bring it inside and put it in glasses of water and see if the buds are going to swell. So they're not necessarily going to open up entirely, but if the buds swell, then that means the plant is still healthy and viable. Okay, good. The deer have been eating on it, like, dramatically as well. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, those so deer. i one without with buds, then. <clears throat> yeah, so just, you know, just check it out just kind of in general to see how, you know, the, the buds, because of what happened to it, but I think it was just weather-related, you know, the dryness and everything else just kind of threw them uh, for a loop. Okay, great. Thank you. Yep, and now let's go over to Eric's yard. Hi, Eric. Hi, Mike. Uh, Hi. I have a couple questions. Um, one of them is I usually put some fall fertilizer in a couple of times, in, and I put some in um, like at the beginning of October, and I was wondering, is it too late to put another round of fall fertilizer? It's about 2406 um, yet this year. Uh, you're probably okay, you know, because we don't know what our weather's going to do. So the 24 is the nitrogen, the zeros of, you know, phosphorus, or, you know, phosphorus and then potassium 6. So you should be fine. Okay, and if I was going to put like a blue spruce uh, tree into, um, that's not too no problem to put that in yet either, is it? I've no. got one that's dying, and I put a new one in. Yeah, so just dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% is deep. Make sure wherever you place it, it's in full sun because they don't like to be in a shaded environment whatsoever. And, uh, okay. That's, and you don't really need to add anything into the soil at all. No compost or anything, really? No, not really. Not really on that then. And I had put some sod down oh, a couple of weeks or so ago. Is that going to hurt if, if I put a little fertilizer on that? I would probably, other, uh... I'd be really cautious about that because what you can do is just go out and tug on the pieces of sod and see if the root system is penetrated into the ground. So in other words, you can't lift it up like a piece of sod anymore. If it's probably, if the root system's into the ground, then you're probably okay. If it wasn't into the ground, then that, that high level of nitrogen could actually burn the root systems a little bit. Okay, that sounds good. Well, thanks for the answers. Certainly, my pleasure. And now, Arlene, how are you today? I'm good. Go ahead. Hello? Yes. Yes. I had a tree cut down, and I was wondering, when they ground the stump out, what can I do with all that stuff that's left from the stump being ground out? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, you can pile it up and turn it into compost, but don't spread it into your landscape. Don't put it on around plant material or anything else because it's very raw. And what it does, if you lay it around plants, it binds up, it holds up nutrients and especially nitrogen. It could cause some major trouble for any plants that you put it around. Okay. And irises, is it too late to move them? Uh, Yeah. I think it is. Even if we're having this, you know, sort of warm period, it's, uh, I like to get any kind of perennials dug and moved, transplanted prior to this. And 
But uh, you could try it, but I would not do it myself. I'd wait into and do it in the springtime when the foliage starts, you know, just as the foliage starts erupting. Okay, that'll be good. All right, thank you. Certainly. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. We've still got about 25 minutes or so, so if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex will answer your call, and he just needs to know your name and where you're calling from. And Paul is calling from South City. Hi, Paul. Hey, Mike. Thanks for being on my show. Sure, my pleasure. Hey, uh, I heard you talking about cutting back rose bushes. Uh, I got a couple. I live on the hill, small little street, a little piece of land in between the sidewalk and my grass. Uh, I got two rose bushes there, uh, Dick Clark rose bushes, a yellow and red. One of them's a year older than the other, and it's twice the size. My grandma used to cut her roses down every year in the wintertime down to about six inches right. and then throw all the leaves on them. And then by the end of... Uh, by the end of the, our spring, she would just turn over that with a pitchfork, and she had beautiful roses every year. That, I, told, I heard you talking about cutting them down. So Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, that's what she, she did exactly what you should do. I mean, that's what the Rose Society promotes, and that's for the, you know, the let's say the hybrid roses, not the shrub-type roses. Yeah, it's a hybrid. Right. Uh, and also, you mentioned same thing, butterfly bush. I know that does get flowers on the new growth. So I have one in front of my house. I keep it down to five, six feet or less in height, and uh, I can cut that all the way down also. Yeah, you can cut it. Well, I wouldn't necessarily. You could. You don't necessarily have to. But uh, okay. sometimes if you cut it you know, down to that point, it's not going to get, let's say, the size of what you've anticipated or historically what's happened. Okay. And then uh, last thing, I want to give a shout-out to my grandson. He graduates from boot camp. He's my latest hero. Uh, Army National Guard, Missouri Army National Guard. He's in a bionuclear chemical engineering program, and he graduates next Thursday. Wow. So a shout-out to my grandson, Aiden. Well, congratulations, Aiden. Yeah, I have spent, uh, you know, not quite four years in the Air Force, but it was a long, long time ago, so... Yeah, the military yeah, is been, a very interesting experience. He's been away for 21 weeks, and he told his mom Thursday when he graduates, he doesn't want to go out to eat. He just wants to go home. <laughs> There's no place so, like home. <laughs> no place like home. Thanks for being on my show. Sure. My pleasure again. Bye-bye. Bye. And let's go over to Rita's yard in Creepcore. Hi, Rita. Hi, Mike. Um, this, is not, this is actually an indoor question, an indoor plant question. It's been a quandary for forever. When, you know, when you're watering plant, you know, indoor plants and the miscellaneous, it doesn't really matter what it is. You know, too much and too little can both result in, you know, some browning edges and such. Right. And yet, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, I had some break off of a, of a plant. And, you know, you put it in water to have it root. And it's been sitting there for, I mean, it could be a year. I don't know. It's a it, surviving with no brown edges and yet it's in plain water so if too much water in a pot with with stuff browns out and yet sitting in water doesn't what's the deal or do you know and i don't know is always a good answer but i think you know basically what it is is you get bacteria problems 
in the pot, even if you're using potting mix, but certainly if you're using potting soil. So the bacteria, you know, if you overwater, you know, that occurs in the soil can actually impact the feeder roots of the plant material like you're talking about, as opposed to a stem, you know, that uh, you're just basically rooting in water. Okay. So it's a bacteria-related disease circumstance. Interesting. I like I like reasons for stuff. You, know, you can't you can't do anything about it much. No. But understanding why is helps deal with the process. Right. Well, thank you for your for your uh, your answer. I appreciate it. Well, Take great. care now. Yeah. Bye bye. Thank you, and uh, let's head over to Ralph's yard. Hi, Ralph. Hello, Ralph. Oh. Ralph, are you there? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Go ahead. Good morning. Go on. Uh, Mike, I was just wondering, I got a crab apple tree, and I was wondering, uh, what's a good time to cut some of the branches off? Uh, if they're just sort of wild, random branches that are you know, shooting off all over the place, you can do it at any time, if, especially if they're young branches. If you prune a crab apple because no, of flowers. No, no, it's not young branches. The tree is old and the and branches are old. Oh, if you prune them, then you're cutting off potential flowers for the springtime. So in, ideally, if you want to maximize the amount of flowers that you can see on your crab apple, wait until after it finishes flowering and then go ahead and prune it at that time. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. And let's see. Leisha, and let's head over to Leisha's yard. Hi, Leisha. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, I had some arborvitaes planted this probably late summer and they're doing that normal um little brown leaf in the in the center sure and and they told me not a big deal anyway um what about watering i've heard someone call in before that they watered in the winter yeah i I was i was really surprised and that guy has You know, he said he'd watered for two years every other day, which seems, I'm surprised he didn't kill him. Well, yeah. I think he had, he had Leland uh, Cypress, I believe, and they're not necessarily something that can handle, you know, an abundance of water, but obviously he had a very well-drained circumstance. Right. So should I be concerned with them during the winter? Uh, if we have extended periods because they've been planted, you know, this year, is that... right? So, yeah. yeah, extended periods of, like, say, three or four weeks of no moisture, then I'd probably take a bucket of water out and just pour it around the root system, and uh, okay. that's probably all you need to do. Okay. Then that's all I needed. Thanks so much. Sure. My pleasure. And okay. let's Seal, how are you? That's me. Hi. Yeah, I'm calling about uh, planting a, a fruit tree from seed. Uh, in the late 70s, I planted an apricot tree, and uh, we got apricots out the yin-yang for really? years. And then as it, uh, I think about three years ago, we finally cut it down, and uh, it got to be 35, 36 feet tall. You're kidding. No. Oh, it was me. almost as tall as our house. <laughs> Well, and that's the great. apricots were wonderful. Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad to I hear. I know it. one year we were out in California, and when we came back, went in the backyard, and the whole ground was covered with apricots. My neighbor's yard <laughs> was, 
but it was amazing. I mean, we canned and we I made jelly and all, and it was just wonderful. But then, as the years got, you know, like in this in uh, uh, last five say ten years, it it was. Um, it just uh, didn't have uh, good crops. Yeah, it was past his prime. Yeah, I know, but I it, it was a friend of ours. <laughs> 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 and then um, you couldn't you couldn't see the apricots until they almost fell to the ground. It was really kind of weird, right? But, so many leaves in that, and then one day you come in, oh, man, and the birds, oh, they loved them. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> well, congratulations on getting it to uh, germinate. I know, I know. I just kind of just, I don't remember where I got the seed from, but I think there was, um, uh, I'm in the South City by uh, January and Loughborough, and I think there was some, uh, another tree probably over on Mackland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Could they germinate that far? Uh, hmm. I guess potentially they could, but uh, something had to carry it over to your yard. Yeah, stud birds probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Good okay, story. But, uh, I just wanted to put that out there. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Have a- Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. We're headed to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, we have about a 40-foot red maple tree, and it's not looking too great, and it's the base of the tree. The roots are really badly girdled. Should those roots be cut, or is it too late? It looks like it's been happening for, for years. For it's Probably since the beginning. Yeah, you can't do anything that's going to help you know by cutting the root systems at all. If anything, you're going to just accelerate the sort of decline of the above ground growth. So just let it go and yep. wait for the worst. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or before it gets to have, you know, be, let's say, technically the worst, get it taken out. Really? Okay. I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> but I would live with it as long as you, you know, like you can and everything else. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it still gets leaves. No, that's fine. That's too great. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And where should we go now? Let's go over to Diane's. Hi, Diane. Hi, Mike. Uh, thank you for what you do. Um, is malarganite a good choice for winter fertilizer, and is it too late to put it down? Uh, you're talking about in lawn or over bed spaces or what? Do in we lawn. In the uh, lawn. It's very low analysis, so you could put some down if you'd like. Okay. Okay, well, that's what I wanted to know. Great. I didn't want to waste my time and money, if it's, you know, for not. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming you have a cool season lawn. If you got zoysia, definitely not. But a cool season lawn, fescue or bluegrass, you could certainly put some down because it is so low analysis. Okay, well, thank you so much. My pleasure. And let's go from Diane's to Bud's. Hi, Bud. Yeah, are you familiar at all with the marijuana plant? Yeah. Because they've, re- you know, they've legalized it uh, here in Missouri for medical purposes. Do you have any, because, uh, and, and farmers are now standing in line to be able to grow this stuff. Or is there anything that you know in particular about this and what's good and not? Well, basically, so it, it's an annual plant. You have to, I mean, replant it every year. Uh, somebody called in last week and said, the, you know, because I had made the mention that, you know, mer- medical marijuana, medical marijuana in and of itself, the result of that, it doesn't have any THC in it. 
So THC is what makes you high, you know, if you smoke marijuana and you're not smoking it. What you're doing is they extrapolate oil from it, and the oil that you take from a medical standpoint is not going to get you high or anything else. Yeah, but I'm just saying, what are tips on growing the plant itself? It's a, it's just regu- like it's like a regular annual. So it needs to have sun, it needs to have fertilizer, it needs to have water. It's uh, just if you can grow any type of annual, that's how you grow it. So like corn, you know, it's a crop basically is what you're growing. And then, and then these farmers are going to send these plants to some processing center. Then is that uh, the deal? Yeah, I would assume so. So it's just okay. All right. Well, uh, that's a big coming thing. I just wasn't sure what you had advice on. Yeah, I mean, it's just like growing any kind of annual, any kind of crop, whether it's tomatoes, you know, corn, wheat, you know, or just annual flowers. It's uh, it just takes a lot of care to get you know to get them to, let's say, produce. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to John. Hi, John. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'd like to know when to trim a wisteria bush. And also, uh, I've got uh, two uh, keeper pear trees that I planted about three or four years ago. And the limbs are getting so tall that they're they're firing on the ends and they're hanging way down and some of the limbs are breaking off. Can I trim those? Yeah. Uh, and what time of year? What time of the year do I trim them? Basically, if you're getting some breakage or some cracking of the branches, I would cut them as you know ASAP, so you can minimize okay. that because it could get a lot worse if we have ice storms and things along that line. And okay. with the wisteria, okay. if you're just growing it because you you like the plant, uh, if you prune it now because it, they bloom in May, basically springtime, you'd be pruning off the potential flowers for next year. If depending upon you know what you know when this particular one blooms, if it blooms a little bit later, then you can prune it as we're coming out of winter time before the new growth begins. So after 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 it blooms, probably. Yeah, that would be the ideal time. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, right. thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to Mary Ellen. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have an. Another question for you about a house plant. I have one that I've had for 13 years, and it's got something in the center that I'm not sure what it is, and around the edges is our philodendron. Um, and I think I have overwatered them, and the philodendron um, down are all looking like they're dying. So I don't know, I, do I just cut it off and hope that it'll come back, or is there something else I should do? Yeah, probably. If, what makes you think it's dying? It's um, it, it's a different color green. Oh, it may be. If it was a variegated type, it may be just reverting back to, let's say, its original genetics. So if it's just, if the leaves look healthy, they're not overly wilted or anything else, I would just leave it alone. Well, they're kind of wilted, and they're a different color. Yeah, if they're... And if all of them are, I had, I had moved, also moved them to a different room. They're still on the same side of the house, so they should be getting the same kind of light. But they're in a room with the door closed, and I didn't know if it got cold. Well, it's not going to get that cold, I wouldn't think. Unless you, if you step into that room and you can see your breath, then it's probably too cold. But if that's not okay. the case, so I would just, uh, you know, I wouldn't. If you want to cut some of it off and see what happens, you can. But I wouldn't, you know. To me, it's just uh, you know a matter of age as much as anything. 
And just you know, during the wintertime, you've had it 13 years, so you know how to take care of it. You know about not fertilizing in the wintertime and everything else. I really have, I really have done almost nothing to it other than water it for well, all these years. Yeah, well, maybe get a little fertilizer and give it a little feed, but I wouldn't do that in the wintertime. I'd wait till we get past you know January. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, discoloration, and unless all of them are discolored and they really look wilty, then I wouldn't worry too much. Uh, they're a little wilted looking. Oh. And then some of them are half. The, a couple of the ones closer to the center of the plant are still a, the, the leaf is half unhealthy looking and half healthy. Yeah, so in other words, philodendrons as a, as a stem elongates, some of the older leaves closer to the center where it's coming up out of the ground can just be old and just die off. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's head to Paul in St. Charles. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. Um, I got a question. I'm trying to redo my yard. I had a, um, a lot of nimble well show up. Can you tell me when I should treat that? I've got some um, uh, liquid to spray on it. And then um, I want to uh, seed in the spring. And one more question. Could you tell me when I need to put um, pre-emergence down? Well, if you put seed down and pre-emergence, you're killing, you know, the seed. So you can't do those two things together. And as far as, as soon as you see, you know, the weeds that you're going after actively growing when you see them, then that's when you would be applying the the herbicide. How about the nimble well? I heard August for some reason. Yeah. I mean... I would, as soon as you see it, I would go after it right then, you know, but that's, you know. Well, I have it, I have it now, and it, I mean, it just took over my backyard. Yeah, so in other words, it's a cool season weed, and so that's why it's coming up, and, you know, they're saying August, you're going after it right as it's, let's say, getting germinated, getting started, and everything else. If you can, well, you know, a post-emergence, so in other words, while they're actively growing, you could try, you know, putting some on it and just... You know, a test location to see if you can kill it off that way, but it's it's dropping seeds the whole time, so that's what's you know. Then those you know the plants will die off. Then they'll just the seeds will lay there until next August. Okay, so um, spray it. So then, if I'm going to seed in the spring, should I go ahead and spray the nimble well? Yeah, what? But and then seed. Yeah, wait for like two weeks or so after you spray. Two weeks. Yeah. Okay, one other quick question. How about, like, I see some moss in sections of the yard, and uh, um, how should I treat that? Yeah, there's nothing you can do about the moss. The demoss and all that stuff doesn't work. It just means your soil pH is fairly acidic, so there's nothing you can really do. So thanks, Paul. Thanks to everybody for calling in. Greatly appreciate you having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.